Good morning. It's good to be with you all again. Thank you. In the middle of the 19th century, there was a French tightrope walker whose stage name was Charles Blondin. And I think that at the time of his death, it was estimated that he had walked some 10,000 miles of tightrope. So this quite an expert, clearly, this guy. And some of his most famous feats happened up at Niagara Falls, or really the Niagara River Gorge. And so there he was, 160 feet above the river, crossing about a thousand foot line across the gorge. And he would do it several times, just walking a straight tightrope, sometimes walking it blindfolded, sometimes pushing a wheelbarrow across. Sometimes, in fact, one story goes that he cooked an omelet while going across on a tightrope. Uh, but one time, he convinced his manager, Harry Colcord, to go across with him on piggyback. Harry, let me carry you across. And it's interesting, at, at, at the about, about cross, he, he, he stops and says, now listen, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are now Blondin. Be one with me, body, mind, and spirit. If I sway, you sway. Do not try to balance yourself. If you do, we will both die. So what he's essentially saying to him is like, look, I know that your instincts are going to tell you that you need to lean, that you need to balance yourself, but you need to trust me, the guy who's walked thousands of miles of tightrope. You need to trust the expert. He's asking him to surrender control. And the scripture, the witness of the scripture is, as it says in Proverbs 3, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And when we lean on our own understanding, it's like we are trying to balance ourselves on the tightrope rather than trusting in the one who knows all about the tightrope. But we don't like to surrender control, especially here in the West in the 21st century where one of our key values is personal autonomy. Surrender is scary. But that brings us to our passage today. It's quite a familiar passage, but we read from Luke chapter one. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at, this, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. A familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of us. And and that's kind of the danger of these Christmas stories and the lessons that have come from them, that they're almost so familiar that it's easy for us to kind of gloss over them. And that, you know, the, the message can feel almost so simple. You know, when Mike preached last week, he even said, you know, I feel like this is almost too simple, but I I reassured him by text later on that, you know, eggs and toast is a simple breakfast, but sometimes it's exactly what you need. And sometimes it's the simple messages are the ones that you need because these are things, and it's good that we have this rhythm of Christmas is because it's, we need a constant reminder of these things is because we have spiritual amnesia. I mean, we're, we're so prone to forget the simplest messages, aren't we? And so I know for myself, in preparation for this, I've needed this, you know. Uh, any preacher preaches to himself first. And so the message today, you know, we, we have this, this passage of Mary's visitation with Gabriel the angel. And often it, it seems clear that Luke wants us to compare it to Zechariah's visit with uh, Gabriel just verses before. He wants us to compare those things because both, in both instances, they are surprised. In both instances, there is this announcement of this unexpected birth. But then both of them have questions. How can this be, right? But with Zechariah, it appears we get the, uh, the internal motivation of his heart, and that was one of doubt and unbelief. Whereas with Mary, it was more something like curiosity and perhaps even wonder. But while it's common to compare Mary with Zechariah, I want to take a step further and compare this visit of Mary and Gabriel with Moses and the angel of the Lord at the burning bush. It's fresh on my mind as I preached it a couple of months ago. But God reveals to Moses through the burning bush his plans to redeem Israel from slavery and that Moses would have a part in that. But Moses had some questions. He said, all right, well, what if the people don't believe me? What if they don't believe me and they say, no, the Lord did not appear to you? And so God responds by you know, giving him these signs, you know, the, the turning his staff into a snake, right? But then Moses said, well, but what about the fact that I am slow of speech? I've, I've never been eloquent. And the Lord says, well, who made man's mouth? You know, I will be with you and I will tell you what to say. And then finally, Moses says to God, I'm sorry, but please send somebody else. Moses was not surrendered to the will of God. But let's consider Mary. She had a question initially, right? How is this going to be since I'm a virgin? A question of curiosity. And Gabriel explains to her that it would be a matter of the Holy Spirit. And Mary accepts that. That's all she needed. And so she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. She surrendered to the Lord's plan. 
But is it not true that Mary could have had some additional questions? I can think of a half dozen. I mean, because on one hand, I'm sure it was an honor to be selected as the mother of the coming Messiah. It's like winning the golden ticket, right? But on the other hand, there could have been some complications. Mary could have asked the same question that Moses asked. What if nobody believes me? And I just imagine it being a, a young girl, 14, maybe 15 years old, in a small town like Nazareth, a town about 20 to 30 acres big, where everyone knows your business. I mean, if you're there, what are you thinking? You start to notice this girl, and over a matter of months, since pregnancy isn't something that you can hide, over a matter of months, you know that she's gaining a little bit of weight around the abdominal portion of her body, right? What are you assuming? Well, you know she's betrothed to Joseph, but not quite married married. You're assuming that either Joseph and her shared a marriage bed before it was official, or that she had been unfaithful to Joseph. She could have been asking questions like that. Like, okay, so how do, I, how do I make sure that people don't make these assumptions about me? Can you hand me a, you know, can I have a, a stick that will turn into a snake to convince them that there's no foul play here? What am I supposed to say to my parents? Have you ever thought of that? Mary sitting there wondering, what do I tell my parents? What do I tell Joseph? Can you imagine that conversation between her and Joseph? We don't have the exact recording of what it was like, but you know it had to have happened. Matthew tells us that when she was found to be pregnant, Joseph sought to divorce her quietly as to not dishonor her, but he came to the same conclusion that everyone else did, that she had been unfaithful. But by the grace of God, the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for this is a, thing, this is a matter of the Holy Spirit. But Mary didn't have that assurance before she surrendered to the will of God. She didn't try to stack all these uh, ne negotiations and try to have all these contingencies, like, okay, I'll surrender if, right? You know, if, I, if I'm gonna be the mother of royalty, I'm probably gonna need some security detail. I'm probably gonna need appropriate accommodations to give birth in, and perhaps a do not disturb sign. But she had none of these things. She had none of these contingencies. It was simple surrender. Moses also, or rather Mary, like her ancestor Abraham, walked into the unknown. She simply surrendered, simply did as was told, and was going into the unknown. She had no way of knowing that in nine months time, there would be this census across the Roman Empire and, and she and Joseph would be required to travel about a hundred miles. I mean, remember, this is before cars, before trains. You're traveling a hundred miles and usually would depict this that she's riding on a donkey. There's no mention of a donkey. She, should, she could have been on foot. So imagine that, nine months pregnant, which traveling nine months pregnant in a day is a lot, but a hundred miles? over a period of days, camping out, that sounds like a lot. She also didn't realize that, you know, as they would arrive after this long, grueling journey to Bethlehem, that there would be no accommodations ready for them. 
Luke tells us there was no room in the inn. You know, it could have been a, a public inn. It could have been the, the fact that there was no place in the guest room of Joseph's ancestor, or family's house. And um, you know, some suggest that perhaps they stayed in the lower portion of the house where animals were, were kept. Uh, there's a tradition that goes back to the second century that it was a, a, a cave. Uh, wherever it was, you know, animals were kept there. And it wasn't exactly five-star accommodations, right? Mary didn't have any of this, any, any notion of this when she simply said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have spoken. A simple matter of surrender, but then she arrives, arrives at Bethlehem, arrives to the place where it was to take place, and then it's time for her to give birth to her son. She delivers the deliverer. Here, after all of her surrender, and when you think about it, Mary surrenders her reputation. She, she surrenders the stability of her relationship with Joseph. She surrenders her comfort. She surrenders her body. She surrenders her vision of her future and her plans and her dreams. She sur surrenders it all. But here, in this moment, she comes to the completion of her journey. And here she finds her treasure. She gives birth, and as we talked about last week, she gets a visit from sh some shepherds. I mean, can you imagine that encounter? <laughs> knock, knock. Sorry to intrude, and this is going to sound crazy, but we just saw an angel that said there would be a baby wrapped in swallowing clothes in a manger. We, we think this is probably the only one around. But the angel said some pretty incredible things about this one. Mary and Joseph would say like, well, you know, it's not that crazy. We've, you're not the only ones who've been seeing angels lately. But it says that Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. Here she came to the completion of her journey and she had her treasure that she would share with the whole world. Now, some think that, you know, Mary's pondering these things in her heart. Perhaps she's making connections within the Hebrew scriptures. We see from her song before that she was well acquainted with the scriptures. Was she sitting there thinking, oh, no, I do think the prophet Micah said something about someone being born in Bethlehem. Is that why we had to do this? Isaiah did say something about a virgin being with child. Oh, is that... Imagine f discovering your place in God's story. And so Mary treasured it. She treasured these things. And now, but what about us today? Surrender, surrender is scary. Surrender is a scary thing because deep down, we believe that when we surrender all things to God, what we are truly surrendering is our joy. We believe we are relinquishing our greatest treasure. We, we believe that when we empty our hands and give it all to the Lord, that he will leave us with empty hands. He will leave us empty-handed. But is that true? Will he leave us empty-handed? Did he leave Mary empty-handed? 
After she surrendered her reputation, her relationship with Joseph, after she surrenders her body and her comfort and all of her expectations and hopes for her life, she surrenders all these things. Did God leave her empty-handed? He did not. Because what we find is that when we surrender to God, he gives us an opportunity to know him more deeply. He gives us more of himself. And so when Mary surrenders all of these things, God says, here you go, Mary. Here's about eight pounds more of me in the flesh, in your hands. He did not leave her empty-handed. And he will not leave you empty-handed. Turn to your neighbor and say, he will not leave you empty-handed. If you're watching online and the, and the chat's available, go ahead and type he will not leave you empty-handed. Surrender your anonymity. Right. He will not leave you empty-handed. So that leaves us, I mean, we know that here maybe, but do we know it here? And that leaves us to consider the things that we have to surrender. Is it a surrender of our reputation? Is it a surrender of our comforts? Is it a surrender of our relationship, of our marriage, of our sexuality, of our parenting? Is there a surrender of our finances, a surrender of our time? Because God may be calling you to different things that there's gonna be required a surrender of each of those things. Is he calling you to surrender your future and your expectations and your body? But here's the thing about surrender. Is that, is that it's more than just an event, but it's a lifelong process. Surrender is a moment-by-moment -moment thing, and sometimes the big surrenders are the result of a character that is developed through a thousand other little surrenders in the moment-by-moment -moment happenings of everyday life. For example, 10 to 15 minutes from now, some of us will be picking up our children from, from their classrooms and we will have to surrender our expectations about how quickly we can get to the car. And we may have to surrender our expectations about how quickly we can get home with that car going five miles under the speed limit in front of us. And later this afternoon, some of us might need to surrender our um, emotional investment when our favorite team does not convert on third down in the second quarter in a three-point game. It's not that important, said the preacher to himself. <laughs> in, in, about, in about six and a half hours tonight, you might, you might be excited about this, this recipe you've wanted to try. You know, all recipes gave it five stars, but it turns out it didn't turn out five stars. It's more like two and a half stars. And your loved ones who are enjoying it are less than sensitive in their comments about it. You're going to need to surrender what you want to say to them. There's going to be a thousand ways we need to surrender before our feet hit the floor tomorrow. And at about 9.35 in the morning, we'll discover our Tesla stock hasn't rebounded yet. We'll have to surrender our fear and our frustrations. Yesterday, my, uh, my wife went on a hike at Hills and Dales. Uh, she took my sons and they met some friends. And when they came back to the parking lot, they discovered someone had busted the window of our van and had stolen her purse. 
And it's not that they even busted the, uh, the, the front windows, they busted that like sliding door windows of the van. How rude, right? Like the, to take out the big window, are you kidding me? And so my wife, I mean, that, that threw off our plans for the day and, and, and for the, you know, the evening and everything. And uh, my wife, after filing the police report, we go and cancel all of our debit cards and credit cards and, you know, just, you know, do, do the ne necessary things. But my, my wife and I are there in, in, in the bitter cold once she comes home and we're cleaning up a thousand shards of glass from our van. And, and she breaks the silence by saying, we need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for the one who did this. That's a kind of surrender, isn't it? It can only happen when you know that God's not gonna leave you empty-handed that he will give you more of himself. Now, we can think about Mary and we can think like, well, you know, of course Mary surrendered. She lived in Bible times. <laughs> but do we not have the same resources that Mary had, if not more? Mary didn't know the links that her son would go to save her. And nor did she know that he would rise from the dead. And that same Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary lives within us. We know the end of the story. And her son, whom she named Salvation, would be like his mother, but actually more than in terms of being one who surrendered. He too surrendered his reputation. He too surrendered his relationships. He too surrendered his comfort and his body. He said, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not what I will. I surrender to your will. And when you see the links that Jesus went to surrender for you, you will realize that any surrendering you do for Jesus is much smaller by comparison. So what is it today? In the small moments of life, is God calling you to surrender? Entrust to him. You have a choice in each moment to lean on your own understanding or to trust him with all of your heart. There's a man named Bruce Larson who ministered to people in New York City. And often he would you'd be counseling people who were kind of on the fence uh, you know, about making a, a decision for Jesus or not. And then so he would walk them to Rockefeller Center. And at Rockefeller Center, in, in front of Rockefeller Center is a statue of the Greek Titan Atlas. And their Atlas was uh, condemned to hold, hold up the sky. He was to hold up the heavens on his shoulders. And I think we have a slide there. On the, on the, left, or on the, on the left is Atlas, the Greek Titan, and he's holding up the heavens. He, he's essentially got a, an entire world on his shoulder. So he would take them to Rockefeller Center, show them the statue of Atlas, but then he would take them across the street to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And behind one of the altars at the cathedral is this little statue that's meant to symbolize, you know, Jesus, who of course here looks a little more Scandinavian than, than for my tastes, but, <laughs> but there's Jesus. What, he, what does he have in his left hand? Well. That's the whole world. And Bruce Larson would say to the people, this is your choice. 
bear your entire world on your shoulders or offer it your whole world to the capable hands of Jesus who holds it with no effort. So now is a time as the band comes, is a time for us to consider, a time to respond, a time to consider how is God calling you to surrender? What is he calling you to surrender in? And do you find yourself wanting to put contingencies and conditions on that? I'll surrender if. But can we trust on the Lord? Can we trust in the Lord who guided Mary through her journey and gave her far more than she surrendered to him? So as the band plays, if you feel compelled to call and, and to, to come and respond in surrender, I mean, even the act of coming forward in a sense in and of itself is a surrender. But the, the, the front three carpets are for those who don't mind people, other people praying for them. The outer carpets are for those who just want to do business with the Lord. But as the band plays, will you come and surrender? <laughs>